you need to make sure that you're building a business that will be able to face that moment because it will 100% happen in the next 10 years. Hello, and welcome to Shopify Masters, the podcast powered by Shopify, your companion for starting and building a business. I'm Shwang Shan, and I've got a rather personal question for you. What's keeping you up at night? If you ask Matteo Franceschetti, nothing, absolutely nothing. Matteo is the co-founder of 8sleep, the first sleep fitness company which sounds kind of contradictory, right? How can you get fit while sleeping? Well, it all starts with a smart mattress. It can regulate your body temperature, monitor your health, and even gently wake you up instead of a frightening alarm. Matteo is here now to share more about smart sleep technology and how he's growing A-Sleep beyond its $500 million valuation. Thanks for being here, Matteo. Oh, thank you for having me. So, some might think that improving your health while sleeping sounds a bit too good to be true. So tell us about the science and technology behind 8sleep. There is plenty of medical evidence about the importance of sleep on your health in general. If you think of health, there are really three pillars. One is sleep, one is nutrition, and one is fitness. But at the end of the day, the foundational part is really sleep, because if you sleep only two hours for the next seven days, I can tell you, you will not be able to train or go to the gym, and probably you will start craving a lot of junk food. So the number one step you need to take for your health is sleep, and then you can take care of nutrition and fitness. In our specific case, um, the first thing we are doing is we uh, change the temperature of your body while you're asleep to maximize your sleep performance. There is plenty of medical evidence that shows that um, thermoregulation can help you fall asleep faster, get more deep sleep, more REM, and better sleep in general. And we see this reflected also in our data and in our clinical studies. The reason why we started with temperature is temperature is usually the, the big elephant in the room when you talk about sleep improvement outside specific sleep disorders. And uh, probably what most of the, of the people in the audience have experienced is sometimes they feel hot at night, sometimes they feel cold, sometimes they fight with their partner because they have different temperature preferences. All these things are pretty normal, but they affect our sleep quality. And so we fix that problem. So you identify that temperature is the biggest issue you want to tackle. So how did you begin to first create a product that could address this issue and also find the right people to be teammates to help you create these products? It was a, a parallel path. So on one side, I started reading a lot of literature about sleep in general and what are the factors that impact your sleep quality, right? And there is temperature, there is light, there is noise, there is air quality. But at that point, I started thinking, okay, let's try to sequence them. Let's start with the first one and the biggest, which one is that? And that is temperature. Then I started doing a bunch of customer discovery and I noticed that 50% of the couples, they fight around temperature because different partners have different preferences. And also because our body temperature already changes during the night. So when you hear people say, oh, you should sleep at 68 degrees the whole night, that is just wrong. 68 degrees could be right for maybe one hour, maybe two hours, for sure not more than that. And the other thing is that each sleep stage requires a different temperature. So it's not even one hour altogether. 
It could be 60 minutes during the night, but those 60 minutes should just happen in phase X of your sleep. So through these two factors, so medical literature and just customer discovery, I discovered that temperature was a big deal. And together with my two co-founders, we built a prototype and we nailed the problem. Mm-hmm. Building a prototype is one thing. How do you go about finding the right manufacturer to bring this idea to a bigger scale? And also, how did you begin to test and know how to iterate your product as you went on? Yeah, the part of the manufacturers was pretty, I would say, complicated. So there's actually a funny story here. Uh, it was immediately after Y Combinator. We had prototypes, but it was time to, you know, to get into manufacturing. And so things were not really happening as I wanted in China. And so I go to my wife and I say, I, I have to go to China to fix manufacturing. And she said, oh, wow, okay. And when are you going to come back? And I say, oh, once I fix it. And, and so I left for China and <laughs> came back a couple of months later. But then is when we really nail uh, um, the whole supply chain that we still use today. Amazing. That's crazy. Do you have some qualifying um, characteristics or things you looked for that were a check mark when you were meeting different manufacturers to identify the ideal one for you? So first of all, usually at that stage, you exclude the tier one because they are very big and very expensive. At that point, you focus on more on the tier two manufacturers. At that point, you start looking at them and you see who do they work with, for how long do they work. Uh, you go and you want to visit the factory because you want to see how clean it is, how they treat their employees, right? If, if it's a good place of a company that is there to stay and that you can trust. And then there is also negotiation in terms of terms. Payment terms are really important for a startup. There are certain uh, manufacturers that are more flexible than others. And then also the location. Uh, by then we hired our first people in China. And so we wanted to make sure that uh, these factories were in the close to where they live so they can go there almost every day. And then, so now you've had um, a desired product. How did you go and start testing the products? What was the process like uh, getting that product and user experience together to ensure that what you've created is exactly what you wanted? So when we launched the current product that uh, is the pod, and is the one with the cooling, which is really now our you know, hero product. By then we already had another product in the market. At the time, the first product was mainly focused on tracking your sleep without you wearing anything. So it was just a mattress cover that you could install onto any bed and it would track your sleep, your heart rate and your respiration. We sold 8,000 units of, of those in pre-orders on Indiegogo at the time. I think it was something like the 16th largest campaign ever on Indiegogo in technology, something like that. So in that case, we did a pre you know, a crowdfunding campaign. The campaign, uh, we sold 8,000 units in pre-orders. Then we had to build them. In the case of the pod, um, so when we launched really the cooling and the full thermoregulation, there was, again, customer discovery and uh, literature. But at a certain point, we just followed our gut. And um, we launched it and it was an immediate success. And that product then started growing at an incredible speed. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, two of the major product streams that you offer, the pods and the pod covers, um, and a bit about just like developing both of them to be complementary products to each other. Right now, if you go on our website, 8sleep.com, you would find two major products. One is the, the pod cover and the other is the pod mattress. 
the technology is exactly the same. So the features that you get are exactly the same. Uh, the audience is slightly different. The pod cover is for anyone who has a mattress, but don't want to change it. They like it, but they don't want to keep sleeping on a piece of dumb foam and they want to make it smart with a lot of smart features. The pod mattress, again, are the same exact features, but if you're already in the market for a mattress and you just want to buy the, the Lamborghini of mattresses, at that point, you just buy the, the turnkey solution. Both of them, they're great. And obviously the cover is uh, a bit less expensive and there are more people that already have a mattress and they don't want to change it. So it's the largest part of our sales. You actually had a long and successful career as a lawyer, and then you transitioned into entrepreneurship. Can you tell us uh, a bit more about this journey and how, um, what, what made you decide to move into entrepreneurship? Now, when I look back, I think I have always been entrepreneurial. I just didn't know. Uh, when, when I was 16, I started negotiating stuff uh, um, to, you know, to buy and resell. I had a company when I was 20 years old that has never really been incorporated, but the company generated money and that is how I paid uh, um, the opportunity for me to come to the U.S. and study and learn English. Then I became a lawyer. I worked for two of the largest law firms in the world. And at a certain point, there was a sort of uh, a lot of interest from private equity funds to come to Italy. It was probably the only bubble in Italy in the last 60, 70 years. And so I started developing a lot of contacts and I started bringing some of these clients to the law firm. But um, what some of the partners said was, look, you're just you know, a very junior person here. You're not supposed to bring clients, focus on the documents and just get the documents done. And that is when I started realizing that maybe I had a bit more to give. During the, the crisis in 2008, um, the work at the law firm was a bit slower than usual, still working super hard, like from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Um, but um, it's when my co-founder and I, we, we had an idea and we started working on that at night. And so after the law firm around 11 p.m., we were meeting, we were working uh, the whole night on this idea, the idea to cough. And um, I think within nine months or 12 months, the company had enough cash and enough revenue to pay me the salary. And that is when I left the law firm and I became an entrepreneur. The company never raised money. We sold it later. It has always been cash flow positive, but that is how I gained my, my freedom, which is uh, pretty awesome for me. Mm -hmm. And I love that story of, you know, keeping your career and also hedging your bets and knowing when is the right trade off to make that transition. Amazing. Yeah. I'm chatting with Matteo Franceschetti, the co-founder and CEO of Eight Sleep, makers of smart mattresses that improve your sleep and overall health. So now I want to talk about marketing, uh, you know, mattresses and even the pod covers. It's a relatively bigger commitment. And sometimes, you know, people want to test things out. They want to be in store. They want to see how things work. So how did you convey these benefits uh, on your website and showcase them to people who were shopping? Yeah, it's a really good point. We don't have physical stores yet. And obviously, sometimes people would like now to, to try the product uh, um, before buying it, because um, it's it, Comfort is so important for something that you, know, you, you sleep on that uh, people want to try it. But again, we don't have physical stores yet. So we try to do most of the job uh, on our website. 
At the same time, on the website, you can also schedule a, a live virtual demo. And so there are some of our people in the customer support team that you, know, you could just have, a, again, a virtual um, live demo where they show you the product, they kind, of, you know, they, they kind of show you the comfort and all the features. But the bottom line is a lot of our growth is really driven by referral. So is our customers referring other customers? Um, the way we build the trust is really through word of mouth and people telling their friends that this thing is awesome and changing the way they sleep. What were some of the marketing strategies you use to get the first set of customers, the first people to be the early adopters? We really focused on uh, um, early tech adopters at the beginning, on the tech community, which is also the one that we know the best um, as a company in terms of friends. Um, and then we really focused on Twitter because a lot of the tech community is on Twitter. And so we knew that if we were doubling down on that community and the community would love the product, they would start talking about us publicly on Twitter. And that is what it happened. So if today you go on Twitter, there are probably 2,000, 3,000 people raving about us and the quality of our product. And that drives growth at no cost. So I think community building and engagement is such a big part of marketing nowadays. When you guys first approached it, how did you identify the different communities and different profiles? And how did you engage in an authentic way to make sure that you're welcome in the community and what you're saying is genuine across these people you actually haven't met before? I think it was 50-50 between one taking a bet and the other one having a very clear strategy. The very clear strategy was, again, we are going to go for the tech community. The tech community is on Twitter. Uh, we already have a lot of friends there and our investors, they have a strong presence. And so we could now get started there. Plus, it's something that I would use anyway, again, to just be informed of what is happening in our space. Um, so everything was making a lot of sense. Then as I started seeing some, I would call them tech influencers on Twitter, I reach out and I say, look, I'm the CEO of this company. We're building this product. Do you want to give it a try? No strings attached. And most of the people in tech are pretty open, right? And they say, yeah, send it. And these people started liking it. And now probably all the big guys in Silicon Valley are sleeping on our product and they rave about that publicly. Amazing. And I think not just in the tech community, you have a great uh, community of top performing athletes who are fans of Eight Sleep. So tell us about how you built this community and also this selection of brand ambassadors. So the step two was exactly that. So to start going for athletes, because it makes a lot of sense, right? Recovery is so important for what they do. Um, and so we started, we started noticing that a lot of athletes were reaching out organically uh, to us, like literally dozens of athletes reaching out every single week. And I have been an athlete in the past. We have always thought of our product like, a, again, a, a sleep fitness product, right? It's, it's a sleep machine that helps you recover faster. So it's a no-brainer for athletes. And so we started reaching out to them. And now you have Formula One drivers, tennis players, NBA and NFL players, CrossFit athletes, triathlon athletes, Ironman, cyclists, snowboarders, all of them, they sleep on our product. And all of them, they have hard evidence that we are improving their sleep. The reason why they have hard evidence is uh, most of them, they were already using a wearable before eight sleep. So they have data about their sleep before and after 
using our technology and now they report up to 30-40% more deep sleep, more REM, falling asleep faster and on average higher sleep quality. And I noticed that there's a great list of media outlets that have covered you guys in the past. What is your approach to approaching journalists and media outlets and what kind of tips you can give for other founders who wish to be covered like the way that you guys have been? A couple of years ago, when we were launching a new product, we were being featured on TechCrunch and Forbes and Fortune and all that. And that would generate usually a spike, a spike for the day, but it was not something that would last. Today, I think the the landscape changed um, in terms of what people read, uh, in particular in tech. And so the way we do it is we still now work and, and talk as much as possible with, with the journalists, in particular great journalists. Um, but at the end of the day, it's not one single spike. You're just building a foundation, a reputational foundation and trust. So when people hear about you and they look for you, they will find these articles that then give them confidence to buy the product. Yeah, I think I really like that because it's a long-term philosophy of building relationships with journalists. And so excited to learn more, Matteo. We'll be right back after this quick word from Shopify. Whether you're dreaming of starting your business or in the middle of scaling one, we know that building a business can be lonely at times. To bring fellow founders together, we've launched our merch store, Shopify Supply. From hoodies to socks, you can represent your hustle spirit. Check it out at shopify.supply. That's shopify.supply. And use the code podcast for 10% off your complete order and you'll get free shipping within North America too. Happy shopping. I'm chatting with Matteo Franceschetti, the co-founder and CEO of 8sleep, makers of smart mattresses that improve your sleep and overall health. So I wanted to ask you about marketing in general. Buying a mattress is a big commitment and often we want to test those out in store. So how did you convey the benefits on a website? Obviously, it's very different at each stage. At the beginning for us, the first game changer was um, Y Combinator. Uh, we went through YC and immediately after we had what we could call our seed round. I think it was $6 million at the time. So it was pretty big for, for that time. After that, uh, we the, the next big step for us was when uh, Cosla Ventures invested. It was Keith Rabois. He led one of our rounds and he gave us the money to build the current technology. And that is also when we rebranded the company. We focused on sleep fitness. We became a sleep. We you know we went after athletes. So it was a sort of pivotal moment for us. So far proved to be right. And then the, the next big thing was uh, more recently, um, around a year ago, when Valor Equity Partners invested in us. Uh, Valor was the first investor in Tesla and SpaceX. And Antonio Gracias was the first board member at Tesla together with Elon. And then he went through everything there from 2007 to today. And so having the experience of someone like Antonio, uh, who has built a trillion dollar business uh, literally from scratch with Elon, um, is something that has uh, a lot of value for us. And then obviously we have Funders Fund and many other investors that are incredible and helpful. Along the journey, you've gone through so many great experiences and starting with Y Combinator, I think 
it all goes back to how you pitch your business and make sure that your story is succinct and attractive to whoever's taking a chance on you. Has your pitch changed over the years? And I guess, what kind of advice would you give for someone who wishes to be uh, you know, in an incubator and to be selected by a VC firm? So I wrote a memo in 2017. That is when Keith Raboy's invested from, from Kosla, and we still use that memo. So if you join us tomorrow, uh, we would give you that memo to read uh, before you join. So the long-term vision never changed. Uh, the tactics can change how you get there or what you do first and second. You know, the, the, the order of priorities can change to get there. But the end goal stays, stays the same. Raising money, I mean, obviously right now, first of all, is, is a pretty... I, I would say tough environment these days, uh, in particular in the growth stage. So if you are anywhere after Series A or Series B, number one advice is make sure you have a lot of runway, make the money last, work on your unit economics, and then try to raise if you really have to. If you are earlier stage, probably the market is better right now. So there is still a lot of uh, there is still a lot going on, but at the end of the day. While the rounds have become bigger and bigger, most of the times, unless you are probably a second time founder or something like that, investors, they want to see some sort of traction. And so the way you should think is, okay, what's the minimum valuable product that you can ship and start showing to investors um, early traction and raise uh, based on that. In our case, it was our crowdfunding campaign, and that is how we got into Y Combinator. So I think a lot of the times seeking the right investors also comes down to relationship. It's not just about financials, but, um, you know, the advice that they can offer and also how the different teams collaborate and gel together. Um, was there any qualifiers that you looked for in an ideal investor and an ideal partner in that way? What I have learned during these years is the really, really good investors, they really make a difference. And they usually make a difference, I would say, few times, but not few times in, in the sense of, oh, very few times they make a difference. When they make it is a massive difference. And maybe is when they push you once per year or two times per year in a certain direction. But those two things that can shape the company can save the company, right? So Keith did that for us um, two, three years ago when he pushed us really, really hard to improve our unit economics. If we didn't do that uh, at the time, today we wouldn't be here. And today with this crisis, um, we, we would be in trouble, right? So the right investors are the one that uh, no, they, they can set you up for success. And again, you shouldn't expect that these people tell you what to do every single day. That is your job as a CEO. But the few times they, they push you really hard on few macro things, those macro things should matter. And at the same time, some of our best investors are also really tough. I just want to make sure people understand that when you think about a great investor, it doesn't mean you become best buddies, right? Obviously, you have a good relationship. It's a professional relationship. You can open it up. You can talk to each other. But most of the times, they're really tough. Think like coaches in sport, right? Uh, these guys are tough. They, they expect a lot from you. They expect you to get it done quickly, and they expect you to make it happen. So the expectations are really high, but they are right. And that is what really matters. The right investors, they will give you advice on things that are right and you really need to get done. And that is where they make the difference. And I think they can increase the odds of success or they can decrease the odds of failure. 
has there been any sort of mental tension that you had to go through to basically, you know, be okay with this next chapter as you scale to let go of ownership and take in these investors? No, at the investors level, no, because again, the, the, the right investors, they focus on few things that matter, but they let you run the business. And so they are more sounding boards. Otherwise, yeah, they shouldn't even invest in you, right? You, you are the CEO and you have a management team. So you, it's your job to run the business. So no, with investors, not at all. Then obviously, as you hire more executives, you need to delegate more. And even there, as a CEO, you need to find this balance where there are certain things where you can delegate more, certain things where you can delegate less. And also the things that you can delegate or not is not always the same, meaning it can change. If there is a big decision in a certain area that can kill the company, even if you trust executive, you need to be way more hands-on than instead when everything is working and maybe you don't even have a lot of expertise. I give you an example, supply chain for us. Most of the times I delegate that and I trust my team, but there are a few times in particular during this year. So when there is a supply chain crisis where I need to be very hands-on and make a lot of questions and receive daily updates. I like that adaptive mentality of your role as well. Yeah, financials is such a fundamental for your business. Um, are there any tips or advice for people who are starting to build different areas that they should pay attention to when trying to manage that financial foundation? I think the biggest advice I would give, and I think in this environment is really important, is to really look at your unit economics and make sure that you're building a sustainable business. I think the mistake we we all tend to do in tech sometimes because it's possible to raise money from investors is, okay, I raise money and I just push for growth at no cost or at all cost, right? Well, instead, probably sometimes it's uh, healthy to grow a little bit slower, uh, but make sure that your margins and your unit economics are pretty healthy because if you think as a founder, right, and you think, okay, this, this, this thing will take at least 10 years, right? Historically, within 10 years, there will be a recession or a crisis. And when there is a recession and a crisis, all that matters is unit economics and burn. And so you need to make sure that you're building a business that will be able to face that moment because it will 100% happen in the next 10 years if you're successful. Well, looking forward into the next chapter, are there any exciting new projects or news about Sleep that you can share with us? First of all, we just reached a new level of accuracy. So now we are 99% as accurate as a medical grade ECG at tracking your heart rate. So this means that you can go to bed as you did last night and there is a device that is measuring your heart rate every single night. And this is valuable for two reasons. First, to know how recovered you are. And second, in the future, to know, know how your health is trending. And again, you don't have to wear anything. You don't have to charge anything. And so I think there is this revolution for consumer products that are becoming sort of medical grade devices. And I'm not talking about being FDA approved or the diagnosis, but just purely the accuracy. Uh, and I think that is awesome for humanity. And then, I mean, the company keeps growing. So you will see more products and more opportunities to, to help you sleep better, wake up more refreshed and have more energy for your loved ones. 
Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Mateo, the co-founder and CEO of Eight Sleep. Thank you. And that's all the time we have this week. I'm Shwang Esther Shan. Come hang out with us next time on Shopify Masters, wherever you are on your entrepreneurial journey.